have a seat. Oh, that's a really beautiful song. Um, well, Merry Christmas Eve. Thank you, Austin. He gets paid to say that. He gets paid to talk back to me. It's their youth, youth guy right there. Um, so, but no, really, uh, Merry Christmas Eve. I always uh, struggle a little bit with Christmas Eve because I have so many people who tell me it's their favorite store or their favorite service of the year. And so I always think like, okay, I just have to not mess this up. Um, but even, even more than that, I, I tell you, uh, you know, some of you have heard my story and, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up going to church on Christmas Eve. In fact, my first Christmas Eve service was when I was 28 years old and I was the lead pastor of a church. Uh, so I had no idea what to do on Christmas Eve, um, even as a, as a pastor, because I'd never even been to a service. I'd never seen it. I'd never experienced it. Um, and so I just wasn't used to doing it. Like right now, uh, the Dieter side, the, the heathen side of my family, um, this is when they get together and exchange gifts. And so that's what, that's what I did growing up. And so I always like ask people like, why, why is it your, your favorite service? Like what about it is your, makes it your favorite service? And I can tell you just from hearing the kids sing and um, just kind of being together, you can, you can kind of understand why that's the case. There's almost something, like when you sing O Night Divine, like there's, some, there's, there's something just almost magical by just being here and singing and being together and, um, yeah, hearing the girls giggle at one of the songs that we sang um, <laughs> there. And, uh, hey, Finn, you got a lot of cute girls sitting around you there right now, too, by the way. And, and so I just... <laughs> Uh, one of the one of the questions I asked is like, what do you what do you seriously, honestly, like, what do you do, or um, how do you how do you conduct a Christmas Eve service, and what do you like? And some people just say like, we just want to hear the story. Like, we we kind of just want to come and we just want to hear the story. And and I've thought about this a lot, and and some of you have heard me talk about this a little bit because I think this is really important to our spiritual formation and who we are just as people because stories they form us and to who we are and to who we're becoming and to who we want to be, but they also, I mean, they inform, inform, they inform cultures, they, they inform and shape our morals, our values, what we believe, and sometimes without even realizing it. Uh, and, and I don't know if you know that, like, you know, our country tells stories to, as you teach history and different things to, to shape young men and women and your families, you, you, t- you tell stories, and sometimes you don't even know that you're telling them and that you're shaping your kid. Jesus was a, a, was a storyteller, and so well, I tell you all the time, like one of my heroes growing up uh, was my father. Like I said, we didn't, he wasn't the one who first took me to church, but he's, he was a good dad, and he always had been, and somebody I looked up to, and a lot of his stories always included his, his friends. Um, his, his dad died when he was kind of young, and he spent a ton of time with his friends when he was younger, and so for me, it's always been really important for me to be a good friend as I've listened to my dad's stories, and my dad was also kind of a, a little rough growing up. Like, I mean, his favorite sports were were football and, and, and things like that. He also coached me, and he, he kind of coached me to be a particular type of person. And those of you who have been around me know that sports play a, a special role in my life, and I love getting to, to coach my, my kids. And uh, the stories that my dad would tell me, like the heroes that he would share and the stories that he would share, was uh, like uh, about my dad 
my dad's not a very big man. He's no bigger than I am. You know, he played middle linebacker. And so he'd always talk about, like, just, you know, the things that you can't control. You can't control how big you are. You can't control how fast you are. But you can't control how hard you play. And his, his stories were people like Pete Rose. Um, we grew up in the Dayton and Cincinnati area. And, and, again, you know, some of you have been around me for a little while, so you've heard some of this. But, um, you know, Pete Rose was known for being just like a tough baseball player, Charlie Hustle. Um, he just did what it took. To, to win the game. Johnny Bench was a defensive catcher, maybe the greatest of all time. Like those were his heroes, Jack Lambert, Jack Tatum. And so like these big hitting safeties and linebackers. And, and so those are like the stories that I grew up hearing and, and celebrating. And so I, I just gravitated towards that. And some things happened within me that I didn't even know of. And so um, for, you know, you know, for you young people and, and you young athletes, um, this is kind of this is kind of weird, and, it's, and and I you know I think back about this, and I blame my dad for these things, by the way. Um, but I remember I so you know like I broke my wrist in the second quarter of my last eighth grade game of football. Um, but it's my last eighth grade game of football, and, and I didn't want to come out because it's my last game that I was going to get to to play. And so basically at halftime, I just told coach like my wrist hurts, can't move it real well. Can you tape it up? And so they did, and after the game, then I told my parents, like, hey, something wrong. And they took me to the doctors, but uh, I don't bruise real easy. I don't even swell a lot. I just don't, never have, um, even when I'm injured pretty bad. And, and so they took me, all the doctors looked at it, and they said it was sprained. And so uh, after football season for me came wrestling season. And so, like, now I'm wrestling on it for a couple weeks um, on my sprained wrist. And my coach goes to... to um, my parents like, hey, he knew, he knew me pretty well. I was the best friends with his son. And he's like, Josh can't use his wrist. Doesn't seem to be using his wrist. He might want to go get checked out again. I went and got it checked out and uh, had to have surgery on my wrist. I had broken my wrist. Um, and so like, you can see the scar there, kids, right there, right? And so <laughs> it's right there. It's real. This is a true story. Uh, and then, yeah, I know. I told you that story, right? See, I'm shaping my kids. Um, and then in, in college, again, like, I'm really competitive. I'm, I'm playing football, and I'm a freshman, and I'm starting for a starting position. So it's our first game of the season. Uh, something about the second quarter, somewhere around the second quarter, I ruptured my kidney. Uh, and uh, fighting for a starting position, so I can't come out, right? So I go through halftime. I return a kickoff. I'm not even a kick returner. I was, like, the guy who blocked for the kick returner up front. Like, you crossed, and you tried to knock out the person who was trying to talk. Like, that was me, but they kicked it to me with a, a ruptured kidney, thankfully. Um, and so you, you play, and uh, eventually you're hospitalized later on in the fourth quarter of the game because you can't move because you're bleeding internally. Um, I, I tell you that because, like, the stories that I grew up hearing, right, shaped me uh, to do stupid things like that. Um, and there are a lot more important stories for us to internalize um, and to put into our hearts and our minds than, you know, even wonderful stories from our dads or our grandparents or our mom and dad. Um, and it's, it's really the story of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus coming to earth. And so I'm going to read this to us. I'm going to read part of the Christmas story here. And we're going to continue to celebrate. And, and I ask that you just kind of just take it in here. Because these are the stories that we really need to shape us and make us into the type of people that God has called us to be. And so I'm going to begin here in Luke. And I'm just going to read, so follow along. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Naz Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. 
She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name, you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, asked the angel, but how can this happen? Or Mary asked the angel, excuse me, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be called Holy. He will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Now I'll stop here. Mary's got to be terrified. She's a teenage girl, and she's being told that she's going to have the responsibility to carry and care for the Son of God. I mean, who's going to believe this story? Who's going to be there to support her? Is Joseph going to be there? I mean, is her fiancé really going to stick with her? Or will he abandon her? What about her community? Will she be shunned or cast aside? You kind of wonder, like, did she ever stop to count the cost? The story seems to say she didn't. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Then the angel left her. So in this story, we find out why Mary was chosen. It wasn't because she was perfect because she was faithful. But maybe more importantly, she understood that God is faithful. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord shall visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. He made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Now... Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, 
for he will save the people from their sins. So God has his plan in the story to destroy death and reconcile people to him. The God who's going to be born in a manger, the baby who's going to be set in a wooden manger is going to go to a wooden cross. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Will Joseph do it? Will he be faithful to a child that's not his? Will he be the father? I mean, you, you have to think here. I mean, Jesus is going to be the son of God. Is, is Joseph even really needed? Here's another question I think to ask or think about in the story. What is God's request for Joseph to be a father to his son? Tell us about the importance of the role and responsibilities that fathers have in their children's lives. So the question is, will Joseph accept it? When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he did not sleep with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David... He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time had come for her, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging for, available for them. And that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to whom God is well pleased. When, angels had returned, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just had the angel had told them. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So tonight, I'm going to ask that the worship team uh, come up here. And uh, I'm going to ask that you go ahead and stand, and we're going to worship here. But 
as we do, um, what I want you to do is I, I want you to picture that you're a part of the story, that you're there that night. Uh, I want you to, to believe that, that you were invited, that you were personally in, invited to see Jesus who is strapped snugly in those cloths, lying in a manger. If you need to put yourself in the shepherd's shoes, if, if you identify with the shepherds or the wise men or Mary and Joseph, uh, go ahead and, and identify with them. But the thing about the manger and the thing about the cross, the thing about the story is we're all invited into it. We're all invited to participate in it. We're all invited to think about what, is, what does it mean for, for Christ to come, and not just to come, but to come to be present for you. And that you're invited into his life and into his story. And so... As we sing, I want you to picture that you're in the manger, that you're in that room. And I want you to, you can go ahead and turn your lights on because it's night and you're in a barn. And Christ is in front of you. And, and I, I want you to think about him being in front of you. And think about where you fit and what he's calling you to who he's calling you to be. We're going to sing Silent Night. I'll come back up here and with a few uh, concluding thoughts as we do, after we do.